Welcome to the Generation Elevation Podcast, a conscious, connected platform for those who are ready to manifest their dream life. I'm your host, Elise Riley, a former PT, now motivational speaker, igniting empowerment and transformation all across the globe. Here at Generation Elevation, we are committed to bringing you the most inspiring guests who will share their stories, wisdom, and advice to help you progress closer to living a life of your own terms. Welcome back to another episode of Generation Elevation. Today, I am super excited to bring you another amazing guest. I am so inspired by his story and I know that you will be too. He competes on a national level in hand cycling and has suffered two near-death experiences. He's aiming for gold at the Paralympics and his aim is to ride up all the mountains around the world and tackle the toughest ones. So with that said... I'd like to introduce to you, Lockie O'Brien. Hello, Lockie. Hi, Lise. How's it going? I am amazing. I'm so excited to have you here today. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, very, very excited to be here. Yeah. (laughs) So, Lockie, I know that a lot of people listening will not know who you are. So, with that said, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yep, so I'm originally from Melbourne, but it's more specifically um, sort of the northeastern suburbs, like a little area sort of called Eltham, which I live there now. I've actually born near there and then moved back there. I've just always loved the sort of being close to the countryside, and um, especially now that I do a lot of hand cycling, riding out where I live now. It takes me like five minutes to get to the country where there's no cars and it's just beautiful scenery and I love it. Wow, amazing. And how old are you? Currently 29 years old, turning 30 in December, actually. Amazing. And what are you grateful for today? Today, what am I grateful for? It's just, um, I guess I woke up this morning and it was just looking outside. It was really, really beautiful, the rain. And then just, I love the, I love the winter in Melbourne. A lot of people complain and say it's too hard, but, um, yeah, it's just beautiful just seeing, um, I was up before the sun was rising and the sun came up and then it was raining. It was really, really nice. Oh, yeah, I definitely do not miss those days in Melbourne. <laughs> so I'm on the Gold Coast. <laughs> what about you? What are you grateful for today? What am I grateful for today? I'm honestly, I'm so grateful to be here and talking to you. Been looking forward to this all week, to be honest. And also, it is a really sunny day on the Gold Coast. The sun's out. I was sitting outside before and I'm pretty sure I got burnt. Like, that's so unusual. <laughs> it's like winter here and yeah crazy it's always sunny there isn't it? i swear <laughs> and yeah, that's why i moved I just i just <laughs> but enough about me i want to know about you your story is incredible so i know i spoke about briefly that you had a few accidents and now you're hand cycling and wanting to tackle the toughest mountains around the world but how does someone go from like the start of that story to where you are now like what have been those moments that have created who you are today okay so I'd say um start about what 12 years ago so um 
I was rugby mad, rugby obsessed, and I um, was playing for my school in the firsts when I was in year 11. Luckily, won the premiership the year before in year 10. So I was 17 years old, 17 years old, sorry. And then well, I was just sort of training on the Queen's birthday weekend. And then um, all I did was I ran in, we're doing this training drill where the person passed me the ball. And for those who don't know rugby, you go into a player, and then if you get tackled down, you go down. Otherwise, you break through and you keep running and you maybe pass it off to try and score. So essentially, when I got when I got hit, I went down on a bad angle and then someone fell, came behind me, fell over the top of me. And then from there, I could feel instantly that I, um, I broke my neck. Um, I was paralyzed from the chest down. And from there, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd lost my dream of one day making the World Cup, you know, potentially winning the World Cup in rugby. So after I had that accident, I had to basically learn to accept, first of all, I'm never going to play rugby again, which is foremost important to me. But also, another note, I'm never going to have to walk again. And then um, everything else that is sort of spinal injury sort of delivers in terms of bowel issues, uh, bladder issues, and um, other medical sort of problems, I guess. So, yeah, so I had that. And then um, at school, I remember specifically a um, an incredible head of studies gave a speech and he said, in life, it's incredibly important to have passions because passions are what drives you and what keeps you looking forward to life. So after I lost my passion, I had to accept, you know, I'm never going to play rugby again, which is quite upsetting. And then trying to find a new passion. So it took me a fair few years. I, I looked around. I actively hunted passions. Like I, I went back and finished school and I knew I wasn't going to go to university. So I decided let's have a look around. So let's figure out what I want to do, what I enjoy. When I was young, I enjoyed partying. So I took a year off, had a bit of fun and then um, started to look around at things and then specifically I mean one day when I was learning to cook when I moved out my brother I was like man I really really enjoy this I'm loving cooking so I um I decided then and there I'm like I'm gonna do a long course of cooking just pick a random course so then when I rolled into the course they the uh, people were in the course were like so why do you want to be a chef and I was like I didn't realize this was to be a chef <laughs> anyway I just said I just love I really do love cooking and I really want to learn so basically Got obsessed with cooking. I absolutely loved it. And then I worked as a chef for a few years and then just happened to transition jobs to a, to being a youth worker when I applied to be a chef somewhere and then realized that working as a chef in a, in a wheelchair can be quite hard with a spinal injury, like with shoulder issues, accessibility in kitchens, and then it can be quite hard to, to try and deal with other chefs being like, nah, you can't work in here and try and change their attitude. So it was a good passion, but it wasn't. It wasn't my ultimate dream. It wasn't my want to make the World Cup in rugby sort of passion. So I figured I'm like, i got to play some sport. Like I'm working as a chef. I'm eating a lot of fat. So I uh, put on a bit of weight, as you do. And then specifically I um, got into wheelchair racing with a friend. And I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. I don't mind doing this. It's not my super passion. And then my friend who did a little bit, did triathlons. And he's like, hey, let's get you in the water. Let's teach you to swim. And then at the beginning I um, – barely even do a lap and I was like flopping around like it's like um like it was a fish out of water if you will um and then um by the end of it with him we're doing 2k sessions 2k swims and stuff so um from doing that and then he's like now now you can swim now you can do the race chair he's like let's do let's get into a triathlon so uh get a bike so I ordered a hand cycle got a carbon bike hand cycle so it's just like a lying down recumbent hand cycle where you pedal with your arms and then the second I jumped into that I was like this is it I found it. I found my love, my passion. And then I uh, still signed up to do a triathlon, but the second I did that, I just got rid of anything else and just stuck with 
riding racing. And then um, the second I started riding up hills, I was like, man, I, I love these hills. I just want, I kind of want them to get bigger though and longer, you know, in mean? the weirdest possible way, the sick way, I guess you'd say. <laughs> and then uh, a friend of mine mentioned the hand cycles. He was like, oh man, I wanted to um, to the seven peaks. I'm like, what's that? And I like looked into it and I was like, whoa, that's a big challenge. That's unreal. So um, just to explain for anyone who doesn't know, Seven Peaks is just um, riding the alpine resorts around Victoria. So all the seven ski mountains, which consists of Lake Mountain, Mount Buller, Mount Borbor, Mount Hotham, Omeo to Dinner Plain, Mount Buffalo, and then I miss it on Falls Creek. So he told me about that and he's like, he didn't end up doing it. He'd done Falls Creek a couple of times. He's like, ah, I don't know, I'm not too keen. And then I found out there's no recumbent hand cyclists that have ever done it before. And I was like, oh, sweet, I can be the first one. So I um, spoke to my coach, started training for that. And then I did, did it the first time ever, which was very, very hard back then when I wasn't as fit in 2000, I think it was 2018, it was. And then, yeah, I did it and I thought that was it. And then I went over to South America and then I went to the Tour de France over there and I was just, I got this feeling in me, like I was like, I i got to do it again. I didn't even think I would. I'm like, I would do it again. And I want to do it fast this time better. And then I said, I want to do that each year till I get really strong, really fit, and then go over to Europe, ride all the hard mountains around Europe, and then whatever whatever challenges I can face that are just ridiculously hard just because I enjoy them in a weird way. And then, yeah, so I um, when I got back from um, South America, I, um, I raised my standards of what I thought I could achieve. Sort of always had these limiting beliefs that have sort of, been told from other competition, you know, like in certain ways, like, oh, I don't think you can get up that mountain or you don't think you'll do that. And then because I'm a bit stubborn-minded, I just enjoyed that. I took that as more of a challenge to up my game even more and sort of level up, if you will. And, yeah, I did. And I managed to, when I got back and did the mountains, I managed to take off almost 30 minutes, some mountains an hour almost each end because I managed, I got back from South America where I ate a lot of good food and I weighed about 67 kilos and I said, that's it. I'm going to get my weight down to whatever's the healthiest, fittest I can get it. And I managed to get it to about 57 kilos. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a lot of training in a healthy way. And then when you weigh, you weigh about, when I first did the mountains, are 65 kilos. So when you weigh about seven kilos less and you go up mountains, yeah, you, you save a fair bit of time, when you, especially when you're putting out more power. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you are literally pushing or cycling yourself with your hands up yeah. this mountain. Yeah. Right. That's like and your whole body. And so like what is the training that is involved in that? Basically, I've, when I got back to South America in particular, I said to my coach, that I was the guy, I said, I want to do it, but I want to, I want to average a certain power. So what happens when a lot of hand cycles or cycles would have what we call power meter. It measures the, literally the torque and the power we put through our pedals. So I said, I want to do it at this power, which can equivalent to speed. I won't get too technical about it, but um. Yeah, I said, this is what I want to do. So literally, I, I live in a quite a hilly area. I have hills that anywhere from one kilometre long all the way to about seven kilometres long. <laughs> so I um, I literally went out to the seven kilometre hill and I said, and I just rode it three times in a row at the intensity I wanted to ride it at, which is about three hours of climbing uphill in one day. And I managed to set the pace I wanted to do up the mountains and then went out to the mountains and then basically hit those numbers. But that being said, it was a lot of time of doing interval trainings and sitting at that number for maybe on the indoor training for 20 minutes, have a break for five minutes, easy spinning, and then another 20 minutes or whatever it may be. It's broken up into many things, predominantly riding lots of hills, I'd say. <laughs> to conceptualize, like 
how tall, how, what is the distance of okay, the so average? Of the mountain? Yeah. The mountain? Yeah. yeah. So they're all different. No much will know gradients. I can try and explain the best I can. So you've got the closest one to us is Lake Mountain, and that's 20 k's long, and that's at about 4.5% gradient. So it's not the beginning is steep, but then the rest of it's sort of at a mid-level steepness, so it's pretty good. And then you've got the hardest of all is Mount Bauble, which is 6 kilometers long. And if you can imagine the steepest hill you possibly think of, maybe a little bit, imagine it being a little bit steeper than that and it's for six kilometers. It's absolute hell. <laughs> oh, that sounds like I'm thinking about like if I was to even walk or just <laughs> run normally, like that would be so difficult. So yeah. I'm like trying to conceptualize how you do this in on your bike. Like that's just absolutely amazing. And so like what has been like your biggest accomplishment so far? probably more than one thing I guess you'd say I would say I don't know getting back and handling the seven peaks but performance related probably that when I rode at Mount Buffalo because at the time don't know if anyone I don't want to take any reference away from you I've read the um I've read to a bit of Anthony Robbins and I was reading one of his books in particular and learned a few things about myself and things just happened to align that I needed at the time I was doing this challenge and really really up my game really made me push myself so I rode up Mount Buffalo and uh, I'll give you an example of how impatient and how um, stubborn I can be. It was raining that day. Uh, I was staying with people I know there. So I said to them, I said, I'm going to ride this up this next day. And they said, it's going to be raining. I said, I don't care. I'm going to get up there and I'm feeling good and I'm going to smash it, right? So I went to Mount Buffalo and, sorry, a bit of backstory is that when I did nationals earlier that year, I rode up a hill um, at a really good intensity. There's a full eight, full lap circuit of a, a 3K hill. And I said to myself, that speed I ride up that hill, I'm going to ride up the mountain now. I swear, I'm not, no matter what, I'm going to do that. So I basically, um, when I hit Mount Buffalo, I started pedaling up and I was just exactly that pace. Like I hadn't done any of the mountains like that, but that in particular, I just upped my game. I just wanted it so bad. And then absolutely just hammered up it. And then at the top, I saw a few people, waved a bit, went to go down. It was too cold. And then uh, met these randoms and they drove me down. And then wow. got my car, went up and picked up my head cycle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so look, either potentially that is my biggest achievement or I don't know if I'm going to go too deep into the story yet, but basically it was in September 2020. I was at my fittest I've ever been, the strongest. Just before that, I'd, um, you know, during lockdown, all my, a lot of my competition sort of unmotivated, so that just made me up my game and get even more motivated to try and catch them. And I did, and I really started making leaps and bounds. I was actually really getting somewhere, pushing myself hard. And then I had one day, basically after having a bit of fun with my neighbour, um, the next day I was, I was a bit hungover, and I think I had a UTI as well in particular. Like I just wasn't really feeling well that day. Yeah. And then out of trying to get into the shower, I sorry, trying to get from the shower to my wheelchair, I slipped during the transfer. And then, um, so I couldn't get back in my chair. So I moved my chair to my bed, bedroom. And then I tried to get back in my chair and I just, I just couldn't get back in there. Suddenly get frustrated, getting hot because I'm, uh, because of my spinal injury level on T2 paraplegic, I can't sweat, um, to regulate my temperature. So uh-huh. I crawled in front of the fan, never thought to carry my phone, never thought something could go wrong. Crawled on from the fan on my front of my right arm where I um, was on my arm for way, way too long. I was fatigued. I just was, I started to become out of it. And because I was on my arm for so long, what happens is if you on one of your four limbs too long, too much pressure, you can develop what you call compartment syndrome. So I got compartment syndrome in my right arm and 
basically my body, what happens is with compartment syndrome is you've got so many toxins in your arm that there's so much going on that your body's trying to fight it. So your whole body's shutting down just in attempt to fight what's going on in your arm. So I was like out of it. So I started to crawl back to my chair, just in and out of consciousness. It was on Father's Day, by the way. My, I heard a knock on the door of my dad because he had a feeling something's wrong. He's trying to call me. Knocked down the door, ran in, saw me on the ground, picked me up. I remember talking to him roughly, yeah, talking in gibberish. And then um, the ambulance came, wheeled me outside, and I black, blacked out. Woke up two weeks later after an induced coma in ICU, oh, where yeah. I, uh, I woke up with a speaking valve in. So that means you can't you can't speak normally. You have to. I'll explain that in a moment. But um, basically that completely lost all of my strength. Everything could barely barely move. I was so weak. And turns out when I came to, I almost I found out I almost died three times in that process through this accident. I had complete muscle atrophy. I had um, dialysis of the kidneys, so my kidneys shut down. So I had to have a doctor machine to get them working. I had to get after that coming up from consciousness. I kept throwing up, so they had to put a track in me so I couldn't talk for 84 days. Someone who likes to talk, that's pretty hard. <laughs> so I couldn't talk, eat or drink for 80 days, and I had to learn to speak again. I could barely even move my arm. I had a blood clot in my left leg. I'm sure there's some other stuff I forgot, but, um, yeah, so I had to... Come back from that with a big pressure sore as well that was massive. So after leaving ICU, I went to um, the spinal ward, which I was at 12 years ago, and then they got me to rehab and then went from rehab from being barely able to move. I had to get hoisted from bed to wheelchair. I couldn't even do it independent like I'm used to. And then um, after seeing myself in the mirror in, in the hospital after about 60 days close to, I just I looked in the mirror and I just went, I literally, like, oh, the cost survival, like I was so skinny and I couldn't. Like I had nothing on my arm. From being a guy that was really strong before not having that, I just lost everything. And just I said to myself, I said, what I'm going to do is when I get out of rehab 60 days after, I'm going to get as fit as I possibly can. I'm going to push myself harder than I've ever had in my life. I'm going to raise money for a charity, which I turned out I ended up raising money for the rehab that I was at um, to try and fix up a lot of the stuff that's going on there because it's – just the patient's experiences, the equipment's not as nice, so I got new equipment and everything. But um, long story short, 60 days after there, we raised $6,500. And my secret thing that I didn't tell anyone is I said, six days after I get a rehab, I'm going to run up a mountain. And I, I did that in 58 days out, actually. I managed to get up the first mountain I ever did. I beat my first time up as well. And... Yes, big journey. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. I'm sure everyone listening is just like, damn. <laughs> That's literally how I feel right now. Like, That is just absolutely incredible. And that is why I knew I wanted you on here today, Lockie, to share that with us. Because like, to get through a time like that, obviously mindset is going to be like, huge and so like I'm curious how did you not just give up in that time because I know there's so many people listening that if they ever experience anything close to what you have it'd be that feeling of like I might as well just give up like it's just it feels like it's all these things are happening to you you know rather than for you and so yeah I'm really curious like what has I guess kept you going this whole time Yep. Um, it was what I wanted, really, is what is what the thing that I wanted the most was what drove me. That was to go back and start smashing mountains at my intensity again. 
and go back to my dream of getting getting gold Paralympics. Honestly, when I was lying in a hospital bed and listen to music that I listen to when I'm running up certain mounds or get me motivated, I'd sit there and I'd I'd tears wanting it. Like not wanting not crying, you know, this sucks. I was. There was a few times where I was like, this is so bloody hard. Like this is I can barely even move. Like I barely even. I'm looking at water on the water on the bench, and I can't even drink water. And I was so thirsty. Things like that that would just kill you. But the thing that held me rock solid the whole time is I just all I wanted to do was get back to my goals and back to riding up mountains, um, living my best life doing that, and just absolutely challenging myself on the bike. And honestly, that was the first day I got out of rehab. I um I could barely even independently transfer. I couldn't go to the ground, and there were certain transfers I couldn't do. And the second I got out, I unlocked my door. Mum was coming over, and I said, "Mum, I'm going to jump my hand cycle. I don't know if I'll make it back up, but I hope you did to get here at a good time. I'm just going to train." So I jumped in my hand cycle, trained, and then managed to get back up that first day. And the second I do that, I'm like, "My recovery is going to be quick after this." And then um I'll um I can share share a link if you want so people understand what what it'll look like the transformation but um sixty days of doing something you absolutely love not just exercise that but really something you love it's most powerful thing Mm. and I know that people that listen to me have heard me speak about energy and manifestation and vibration and all that kinds of stuff and. And I truly believe that when you are doing things that you love, you're obviously in a higher vibrational frequency, expressing the emotions of like love, gratitude, joy. So you're going to then attract those things into your life versus like doing something that you hate and that you are feeling like frustrated, triggered, angry. You're going to attract more of those things to you. And as you were just saying, like your story then, for me, it was almost like the power of manifestation for you whereby like you were telling yourself like I am going to do this in 60 days like I'm going to recover quicker and it was almost like affirmations and manifesting what it is that you wanted but also enjoying the process and the journey along the way yeah 100% I actually wasn't surprised that I'd made up the mount like that I got the mount because I'd already pictured me doing it I'd already done the training enough and I when I did it I was happy I did it, don't get me wrong, but I just knew I was going to do it. I had no doubt. I wasn't even shredded out. I said I'd pop my shoulders out of my socket before I don't make it. So that, and it was interesting to say about energy and flows and because I remember when I was in um, ICU and I had, I was so weak that any movement almost made me want to pass out. But I knew that I've always, through stuff, a lot of stuff I read in particular, by producing energy creates more energy. What I mean by that is, you know, the first time, for example, like I literally could barely lift my right arm. Like I, um, because of the Kaiman syndrome, I had about six surgeries. Oh, yeah, all up I had about 12 surgeries as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I had about six surgeries on the right arm. And when I first had to move it, the um, OTs were doing, and the physios were doing therapy with me and they said, you need to try and move it as much as you can at the beginning to get the best out of your arm for the future. And I just thought about hand cycling. You know, if I push hard now, I'll be able to get in the bike. So basically, I um, there was a few exercises they gave me that I just wanted to absolutely pass out. And I would, after they'd finished, I'd leave. I'd lie down. And then after the OT left, five minutes later, the physio would come. He's like, you ready to go? And I'm like, no, but I'll do it anyway. But I couldn't speak either. So I just went, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so by doing creating that energy at the beginning, it's hard. The first few steps are always hard, but then after that, once you create a good momentum, mm. it's not half as hard. Yeah, it's that snowball effect, you know. Yeah. 
at the start, it's slow, it's small, but then it collects more snow as it keeps rolling, gets faster and bigger and compounds. Exactly right. That's it. Yeah, that is incredible. And it's very much um, similar to what Joe Dispenza says on manifestation, whereby you were seeing the end result and then you were also feeling it. Like you said, with tears in your eyes, you knew that that was going to happen. So it's like that seeing it, feeling it and believing it. Yeah, exactly right. Something I've sort of done for a while, a while now, especially before I had that accident, I would always envision every time before I trained, especially in 2020, I would picture myself, if you listen, I'm going to laugh, I'd picture myself being the national champion up the main hill that we race. And um, honestly, every time I jumped on the bike, picture that, I could just see myself getting stronger and producing more results because it just, I'd listen to strong, intense music with like a good emotional intensity. And I did that and just, for me, I was just, the desire outweighed any pain that you put, that you're putting in when you're in your ride. So I pushed myself harder and harder and harder just because the desire was so strong. That sort of makes sense. Yes, definitely. And yeah. I am curious to know, cause you mentioned a few times that you've read books along your journey that have helped you with your mindset. So I'm curious to know, like, what have been those books that have really shaped your beliefs and kept you motivated in those? times whereby maybe it was feeling a little bit challenging yeah look the number one book for me in particular is called awaken the giant within by tony robbins it's what well, it was made in the 90s i think it was but it's it, a lot of stuff's changed now but it's still as good as it was as it was back then i think personally for me when i was in hospital all of that yes a lot of it was me or was me in particular but a lot of that stuff i learned i use that when i was in hospital talk about a lot of it but it will be here all day but yeah just I had I had no limiting beliefs setting me back within that I'd, I'd sort of figured out what a lot of them were before and I really worked towards changing them thinking more into positive sort of stronger beliefs and almost turning into convictions about what I want to achieve and that in particular and combined with what I listened to when I was in rehab Atomic Habits yeah, I don't know if anyone's heard of that. So that's, to me those two books combined are very very powerful so when I got, I'll give examples so when I Got it. Um, after I read Atomic Habits, I'd make sure that everything I did was in the morning. Like my morning routine, which has been like for like four or four, four years almost, is wake up in the morning, jump up, do a meditation for about 10, 10 minutes. I'll use 10% happy of the app just because I like it. And then I'll, uh, in my book, I've got like a morning gratitude, which is like, what are you grateful for? What are you happy for? What do you enjoy? What are you committed to? And then, like, for example, I'd do that and like I'd get so G'd up, I'd bang the table only when I live by myself. <laughs> um, and yeah, do that and then get up and do like my physio exercises before I jump in the bike and train. And by the time I got out of the door training, I was ready. You know what I mean? Mentally, I just was in the zone. I'd have a coffee or two as well during that process, the habit stacking, as he talks about in um, Atomic Habits. And yeah, like I'd even just wake up and put my life on. So I wouldn't even, years and years ago, sorry to go back to it. I wouldn't just get up and get in my lycra and train. I'd sort of be like, oh, I don't want to train today, this and that. But nah, after this accident, it was like, bang, clothes on, get out the door. I wouldn't even – it just became natural. Like my day began after I trained. Like I'd be like, okay, now I've got appointments, now I've got this. And people say, what have you been up to today? And I'd say everything apart from training. And I said, you train today? And I'm going, oh, yeah. Like I, you know what I mean? Like it becomes such a natural habit you don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I love that. And – For the listeners that may be struggling with limiting beliefs and they have a goal they want to achieve, however, they have these limiting beliefs getting in the way, what would be your advice 
for them to change them or move beyond that so that they can keep progressing? Yeah, the first thing I would 100% say is that goal, make it as attractive as possible and put strong labeling around it. So, for example, I'm not going to say I want to be a great hand slapper. I want to say I'm going to be the goddamn best hand slapper I've ever been or something. I want to be as fit as I could possibly be or whatever it may be. Make yeah. that sort of goal have strong, attractive language, right? That's That will drive you. That will be a strong driving force. And then you'll, you'll run into limiting beliefs. You'll, people will tell you all this information. They'll try and they're helping you by saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't push yourself so hard. Maybe you, their intentions are good, they think, but they create doubt within you. They don't realize that it's up to you if you want to do that. So in terms of limiting beliefs, so many different techniques, as I'm sure you know more than anyone, but um, you've got to question them and really why is it, how is this going to impact me badly if, if I keep believing this? How am I, you're going to, you need to make it as negative as possible how bad it can be. And you're like, so what I mean by that is how much pain will that create me mm. if I don't do, if I do not remove this belief right now? Pain is more driving than actual pleasure, which is, which is a bizarre concept. So you find that once you remove that from the pain, you, then you, you need to look straight away at what's pleasurable about creating new belief, you need to create a new empowering belief about what you think or what you want sort of thing. So if you're going to be the best hand cyclist and saying your limiting belief may be, I can't do it because I've never ridden a bike more than a year or something like that. And then you say, you say, but that will cause me so much pain. I won't be able to get anywhere I want to get. And then you, and then immediately you need a set of strong belief to be like, if I do this, I'll achieve this. It'll get me there. All I need to do is just train my ass off, blah, 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 blah. And then you start becoming, creating more powerful thoughts behind that sort of thing, if you will. Yeah. So for the listeners who may be wanting to change their body composition, it's like eat healthier and train. They, if by not taking those actions and staying the same, maybe it can affect like their energy and the way they show up for their kids and their family. And maybe they won't be able to have as much output at work. So then that will affect them financially, like that kind of compounding of the negative habits versus stacking positive habits together. Yeah. You've got the same question list. I have, I reckon. Yeah. How will it affect my family? How will it affect me emotionally? Mm. How will it affect me financially? Yeah, exactly right. But yeah. then immediately once you remove those disempowering beliefs, I think it's so important to create strong empowering beliefs. Yes, like what you were yeah. saying, like I am going to be the fittest that I've ever been in the next 60 days. Like the yeah. affirmations of I am are yeah. so powerful. I might, sorry, I might throw in another one there. Something that depending on the person, but I think a lot of people, it really makes a big difference if it's something that's outside of you. And what I mean is how would this affect all the people, like people I love, you know what I mean? And then if I do achieve this, how will that, you know, I'll be a strong role model for other people that have spinal injuries or other people that I love and my, if I have a kid, you know, I'll be a great role model. And then there, that's where it starts to kick you in the gear. You go, oh, well, I've got to be better than this person for this other person as a role model. So it sort of helps in that regard too. Mm, Definitely. It's definitely a great starting point. I love that. And so you obviously have a lot of time when you're cycling up these mountains. So what do you think about or do you just listen to music? Look, I do listen to music, but, yes, a lot of thoughts come into my head. 
usually spend most of my time when I'm running up the mountain staring at one particular number, which is you drive you mad. So I'm a big daydreamer too. So I'll just, but I'll, I'll use that in, in, um, in the positive sense. So I'll uh, probably focus at the top of the mountain, focus how good it will feel, just all the positive sort of benefits of if I achieve my, achieve my dream sort of effort, if you will. That being said, I did complete seven peaks after getting out of hospital recently and I, um, I was behind my best times by about 10 to 15 minutes each time. So that was like a big slap in the face every time. But that being said, you can't successfully happen without failure. You know what I mean? So I had to fail this time around. Drive, I wouldn't say it was a failure, but I wouldn't say it personally. A lot of people wouldn't say it was a failure, but for me it was, it was, but it was a stepping stone to achieving what I want. But going back to your question, in particular, the hardest point is when the fatigue kicks in the mountains. So that could be something like Mount Hotham. That kicked in when I was at about the 15k mark, and it's 30 k's long. So I had like 15 more k's uphill to go. So um, for me, it's just I'll do anything. I can. I'll say anything I can to try and get there. I say just spin, keep spinning, not just keep spinning my arms, but keep spinning at this intensity. Like if I just do this, I can get as close as I can. I can minimize that time gap, and it gives much benefits from training. I just got to keep hanging on the like the, the desire and the want to beat that best time. Might not be now. But moving forward, it will get me there. So just trying to find any positive and any reward you can get out of it. Like it's, there's times where, yeah, of course, I, I did force creek in this part in particular. I had mechanicals. My, my gear got stuck in a certain gear. I could have turned around and gone down, but I'm, I wanted it so bad. Um, I overheated as well and I was just too hot. So, but I said to myself, I was times where I just stopped and I wanted to turn around and go down the mountain. Like I wanted to give up. But I just, I just can't. I just don't like the person I'd be if I get back, even just once. So um, I just kept spinning my arms and said, I'll just go, right, well, okay. And then after I remember my cow, I said, no, no, just another 200 metres. And then I'd just try and, you know, take it one step at a time and break it down Yeah. to, to make it more digestible. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people can apply that whole thing into their lives whereby they might have a goal and it might be overwhelming or you might be going through like that challenging time where you might feel fatigued, you might it might feel like nothing's going your way and then potentially like breaking it up into little goals to get you yeah. there. Yeah, exactly right. Like there's a, there's a particular thing I'm working on at the moment. It's um, called the, I think it's Bradford planning method it's called um, IPM and it's through Tony it's Tony Robbins so you get your big goals mm-hmm. and then you list your reasons why you why you want them you really break it down into incremental steps and um by the the want is the biggest key is the biggest sorry the most important part I believe but um going down breaking down the steps is imperative so I want to be the fittest I've ever been feel amazing and then what do I need to do to get there and then I need to you know sign up to a gym where Maybe you go, oh, I don't like going to a gym though. I don't particularly feel comfortable around people. So it's like, well, go to do PT, PT sessions, get into a good, you know, get yourself in a good, um, sort of state or mindset, if you will, like do something you love, listen to good music. And then when you're in a good mindset, back and book it straight away. That's mm-hmm. when you feel good is that's when you can sort of take the first step. So do that. Just start doing incremental steps. When you feel good, that's when you can do all these exercises, write down all of the things, you know, that will help you get there. If that sort of makes sense. No, that, that makes so much sense. I love it. And I also am really curious to know, like, what do you do outside of all this training and hand cycling? Yeah, of course. So um, I've had a dream for a few years to sort of become a personal trainer and 
I'm still deciding um, if I want to go further with it, but maybe study exercise science. But with the goal of specifically training people with spinal injuries when they leave rehab, yeah, um, or even when they're just out in the community, because um, especially recently I've sort of noticed going through there again, um, the system sort of changed where people, because of the NDIS, which is great, and the hospital pressure system, pressure being not enough beds in the, in the um, hospital and um, in the rehab, the people are leaving rehab when they're not as independent as they could be. And then they get in the community. So just say everyone knows, when I say community, that's outside of rehab, just day-to-day life. And they get in the community and they have these sort of services around, but then they, you know, they don't necessarily chase after things they may want to do and they kind of go into a bit of a stagnant lifestyle that might not be something that they want. So what I particularly want to do is when people get out, I want to sort of create an interim, if you will, training people with spinal injuries when they get out and training their shoulders in a strong, sustainable manner, not just a quick, efficient way and then get them shoulder injuries, but strong, sustainable manner so that they can do what they want to do. They can independently transfer, uh, live on their own if they will, if they want to, and especially from a mental health point of view, if they say, for example, a friend wants to catch up with them and then but they're a couple of days away and they're in the city or something, they go, oh, it'll be too exhausting getting there and then they won't leave the house and then they'll... So strengthen their shoulders so they can push around and go that and be independent and get out there. But then on another note, I want to create a sort of group environment where we may do group sessions or one-on-one sessions, but particularly do group social sessions as well where we just go together, have lunches, but then that's where we start talking about potential issues that have arised after your spinal injury and then talking to other people with spinal injuries, like-minded people who may have it, may have input that may help them and that sort of stuff. So just a, that sort of social environment and, um, yeah, that's, sort of, wow. that's one of my dreams. And I'm sort of almost finished per- studying personal training, almost qualified. I want to get my ABM as fast as I can, start yeah. training, you know, not just spinal injury clients, but every, you know, everybody as well and just work with as many people as I can. And, um, yeah, that's sort of... Yeah, my two main goals, but I'm also in within five years, what I'm hoping to do is go over and um, live in Spain for about six months to a year. Go stay over there, ride all the mountains around Europe, grab a car, just drive out to them, ride up and down them, and then just ever I can, and then start sending bigger challenges from there, I guess. Wow, that's amazing. I'm so excited for you. I feel like there's Thank so you. many people that need you like I'm sure that the listeners right now are probably like wow like I need some more of Lockie in my life like this <laughs> this energy this mindset like I think you have already helped so many people and I'm really excited to see you continue to do that and so Lockie I really want to be mindful of your time so I have one last question for you are you ready yeah okay cool so I want you to answer with the first thing that comes to your mind and it could be just like listening into your intuition or just like an inner knowing or whatever it may be to you. But if you could give the listeners one piece of advice that they really need to hear right now, what would that be? Chase your dreams. Chase after what you want. Don't push it aside. Really make it desirable and do everything in your power to get it. And um, you'll be happy from just from doing that. Or you'll at least take a step towards the happiness you want. Mm, amazing. And also for everyone listening as well, I have major renovations happening at my house. So if you've heard some construction and all that kind of stuff, 
Okay. Well, I was like, oh no, they're like banging hammers and all the kinds of stuff outside. So hopefully you can't hear it. We'll try and touch it up in the audio, but lots of love. Thank you so much, Lockie, for jumping on today. I really appreciate you and the energy that you've brought to my show. And I'll pop all of like information where people can find you in the show notes. So if they want to follow along your journey, they can and send you a message. But otherwise, thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you for being a part of the Generation Elevation community. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a five-star rating, written review, share, and tag me on Instagram at Elise.Riley. Until next time, keep loving, keep learning, and keep rising.